starting a sermon series this weekend called Truly Blessed. Truly Blessed. We're going to be going through Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes of Jesus. Um, And this is Jesus' most famous sermon. This is arguably the greatest sermon in the history of the world. And all of these ideas for this this sermon series that we have have actually come from two places. Uh, First of them is a church in California called Saddleback Church with Pastor Rick Warren. Um, He did a series many years ago through the Beatitudes and a lot of these ideas we have are inspired from him. Also Celebrate Recovery. How many of us in the room, I'm just interested, have heard of Celebrate Recovery? A few people. So that's actually where Celebrate Recovery started. And essentially, if you're like, what is that? Celebrate Recovery is uh, it's sort of like AA or NA, but it's just with more Bible. It's really focused around the Bible, and it starts through the Beatitudes. And it's a 12-step, biblically-based program that goes through many different topics. It's not just Alcoholics Anonymous or narcotics. It's actually addictions in many different ways. And there's Celebrate Recoveries that happen all over the country, all over the world. Actually, we have an awesome one that happens at LaGrange every single week. Um, they meet and share and talk about what's going on in their lives. And so it's a great thing. And it's a really, really powerful ministry that makes a big impact. And one of the things that I actually was thinking as I was reading through kind of the history of Celebrate Recovery and the history of how it started, um, this is something, just throwing it out there. I'm not telling you something we're starting, but just throwing it out there. As I was writing the sermon, I felt like God said, I want you to throw it out there that eventually we'd like to have a Celebrate Recovery group at here at Hope Church Frankfurt. And just throw that out there as a vision thing. I don't have any plans. I don't have the leader who wants to lead it yet and the crew to support it. It's something that happens. It's essentially a church that meets every single week during the week for people who are struggling with certain types of addictions. But I believe one of the things that God said when he called us uh, to this area, Abby and I, is that we really want to minister to people who may look on the outside physically like they have everything, but spiritually they have nothing because they've been caught in a web of what is the world going to do for me rather than what God can do for me. And so I believe that a lot of us will, through this life and through this line of thinking that we have every physical need met, we then don't need God for our spiritual needs, so we turn to other things such as drugs or addictions or other avenues. So that's something that I would like to start here in the future. I'm just shouting it out and just asking you to pray with me that we would eventually have one because I believe it's something that's necessary in this area. And that's what the church is about. We're not just a a humble, holy huddle where we're like, everything's cool. We don't need anything. Like, don't talk to us. You know, stay on the outside. No, we want to welcome people in. Amen? All right. Church is a hospital for those who are sick and hurting in need of help. It is not a hotel where you need to have an American Express black card to get in. It's a hospital. This is what this place is meant to be. So CR is a great program, Celebrate Recovery, and if you, need anyone, if you know anyone who needs that, man, there's many of them out there. But as for the next eight weeks, we're going to be going through the Beatitudes, and so we may not do this every week, but as for today, I wanted to start, and I wanted to read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes in its entirety. So would you read this with me? Starting in verse 1, Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, so for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revel against you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus is saying. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you as well. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good. And God, we ask you today that you would breathe life into this message. If there's anything from me, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten. But if there's anything from you, I pray it would be forever remembered. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. So this first portion of his Sermon on the Mount, which goes for many, many chapter or for many sections, and he talks about different avenues of the life and what it means to be into the kingdom of heaven. Fun facts for you, you can take this to your Bible bank and you can pull it out when you're in an argument with someone about the Bible. What is the topic that Jesus talks about the most throughout the Bible? Anyone have any thoughts? Not, not that we're the type of church that's shouting it out, you know what I mean, right? It's like, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, there was this pastor one time who used to always go like this. He would say, and then he would go. I might start doing that, especially because I can't really hear well. But here it is, fun fact, the kingdom of God. Everyone thinks it's money or love or, you know, whatever. It's actually the kingdom of God is what he talks about the most in all of his sermons, right? The kingdom of God. So the Beatitudes is essentially this. It is the attitudes that should be in your life as a Christian. These are the attitudes that should be in your life. And, and what Jesus is setting forth is both the nature and the aspirations of, of us as citizens in the kingdom of heaven, right? That we must learn these character traits and all of these things are goals as a Christian. There's nothing that you can, that we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks that you can be like, nah, that's not for me right? Sometimes we talk about that. And we're, we're talking about a spiritual gift, and you're like, I just don't have that gift, right? So you just doze off that Sunday. The next eight weeks, you don't have an excuse to doze off, because all of these are for all of us, right? There's no escaping our responsibility and desire to have these attitudes, these spiritual attributes coming from our lives. So what's interesting is when you see the word blessed, right? We say blessed, are those, right? What blessed actually means in Greek is happy. It's an ancient Greek word, right? And the Greek word that we're talking about is makarios, makarios, which describes this secret in itself of joy, this serene and untouchable self-contained joy completely independent of other changes in life. So when Jesus says blessed, he's saying Happy. So these Beatitudes could read, happy are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God, right? It could read happy, but how we perceive happy is very different. How we perceive happy is monetary, and it's a lot of times momentary. I'm happy in this moment, so I take a picture of this moment. Or I'm happy because I got something, right? I got a new car, I got a new house, or I got a raise. It's momentary or it's monetary. But what Jesus is talking about is that there's this joy that comes within us when we're blessed through his words 
that can be completely independent of our situations, that can be completely independent of our circumstances. Jesus is essentially saying that when you have these attitudes, your joy is untouchable. It's sufficient. It's completely independent. And so what we're going to be covering over the next eight weeks is how to have joy, how to have these attitudes, how to be blessed in God's kingdom. Because as Christians, we're supposed to be represented of God's kingdom. We're supposed to represent him wherever you are, in the grocery store, in your job, on vacation, wherever you are. We're supposed to represent Jesus. So my goal, just saying it right here at the outset of this message, is that as this sermon series progresses, that you would grow in these attitudes. That I would grow in these attitudes. That as we grow and Jesus teaches us, that our, grow, that our joy and our blessing would grow as well. Are you with me on that? Good? Also, just want to announce, as far as we starting today, we're actually starting a podcast here at church. And so I know a lot of us have our summer vacation plans. And so we're going to start a podcast that's going to be on Spotify everywhere. And so you can keep up with our sermons and you can share them. So if you're gone a week, you know, don't worry about it. You know, don't, no shame on you. Take your vacations. Like we got to enjoy the time in the summer before the winter just bears down on us and we just curse Satan. You know what I mean, right? Come on, somebody, you know, right? But we have that as well. And so it doesn't matter if you're listening to us in the room or through a podcast or whatever. This is something that we really want to see. We want to see us grow. So I want to ask a little survey here. Time for some confession. How many of us have you ever stayed up too late when you needed extra sleep? Anybody? Okay, cool. Have you ever stayed up too late and slept past your alarm for church? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Right? Have you ever chosen to eat or drink something that you definitely shouldn't have because of the calorie intakes? Hallelujah. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You know what I mean, right? Have you made commitments that you can't possibly keep? Have you felt like you should exercise, but you thought tying your shoe was enough, right? Have you ever known that you should be kind and unselfish, but instead you weren't? Have you ever tried to take control of your life and your circumstances, but you couldn't? If that's you, if any of those things described you, welcome to the human race, and you're welcome here at church. That's all of us. Even the, someone as, as powerful and as what I would argue, other than Jesus, one of the greatest Christians to ever live, the Apostle Paul, he said this. Check this out in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. Come on, somebody. I have the desire to do what is right, but I just don't have the ability. Okay? And on that little piece of paper, on our, our message notes that we gave you, there's lists of stuff. So I'm going to kind of just read them very quickly. There's stress, diet, finances, fears, worry, relationship, overwork, bad habits, painful memories, attractions, anger, perfectionism, addiction, dishonesty, resentment, regrets, need to control, compulsive thoughts. 
And maybe during this message or maybe later on, if you're struggling with any of those things, I want, you, I want to encourage you to circle those things and be like, this is something that I'm struggling with. And you know you're not alone because the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, said, I just keep doing what I don't want to do. But I know that it's not me. It's the sin that's within me. And what causes these problems in our life? I truly believe there's one specific thing that causes these problems in our lives. And it's the first fill in the blank on your notes. The cause is this, is that we want to play God. We're playing God. We play God. When I act like God, I'm going to make my choices instead of doing what God has called me to do. And I'm going to do whatever I want. I think our greatest temptation is also the oldest temptation. Let's take you back to Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible. What does Satan say to Adam and Eve? He doesn't say, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become like me, a snake. He says, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will become like God's. The, the temptation that we have is not, no one in this room wants to be like Satan. No one wants to do evil things in this room. I wholeheartedly believe that. We want to do what is right. We don't have the willpower. So what do we do in our own flesh? We take over to be like our own God. And when you play your own God, God above, Yahweh, allows you to play that role. And that's the destruction that we see a lot of times. We play our own God and we get the results of our own God. It's our oldest temptation. It comes from Satan. Ezekiel points this out when he's talking to the king of Tyre. He says this in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2. In the pride of your heart you say, I am God, but you are just a man and not God. Though you think you are as wise as a God. How many of us have ever had a moment where we're like, I'm pretty smart. Come on, somebody. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. But you know, I've had those moments where you're like, I'm smarter than this person. And it feels good, you know? But I'm not. What do you do when you feel like you're God? When God tells us to do something and we don't do it, we're acting as our own God. God says, don't do this, but I do it anyway. God says, don't do that, and I do it anyway. I know what will make me happy more than God does. That's the attitude of someone who's saying, I want to be God. Someone who's saying, I want to be God says, I know God says, hey, there's no sex outside of marriage, but I want to do what I want to do, so I'm going to go ahead and do it in this way. I know God says to tithe, but I, I know I want to do. I know God says to love your enemy. I, I know God says not to hate, or I know God says not to. And we go through and every time God tells you to do something that you don't do, guess what? We're playing God. I'm actually saying, I know that God, I know what's better for me than God. So what's the cure? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says there's eight ways to be happy. And this feels like a, a felt need sermon to me, right? Like what do we need felt need sermons? It's kind of like we all feel this. We all know this. Like we all deal with this. He says this, you think you're going to be happy in the way that the world tells you. If there's anything more important in this Beatitudes, Jesus would have said it. But he started off with very specific things. 
These are in very specific orders. He's the God who created the universe. So I think he's got it figured out, right? So here's what he says. The first one is this. We read it earlier, but it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let me just put out some disclaimers. He is not talking about physical poverty. There is no blessing in physical poverty, right? There's no blessing in being poor for Jesus. Like that's, I don't see a blessing in that. He's not talking about physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. So what does that mean? It means recognizing my sinfulness, recognizing my need for God, recognizing my hopelessness. In Celebrate Recovery, they say it this way. I need to admit that I need help. I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And when I do that, my life is unmanageable. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? God says if you develop the attitude that says I'm powerless, I need help, I can't control my life, that's how I will be blessed. So we're going to go through three different steps you need to do. The first one's on the screen already. The first step you need to do if you're going to live this poor in spirit attitude is to humbly admit that I need help. Again, the caveat to this is living a life that God has as citizens of heaven. Humbly, I need to admit the truth about me. Jesus says this, the truth will set you free, right? But the problem with the truth is we don't like the truth. Come on. What's that one movie, A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth, right? Like that's the reality. And I think we can all admit sometimes we can't handle the truth. I don't know if it's just me, but it's like, nah, I'm good. Like I don't want to see, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to see it. I can't handle the truth, right? A lot of times is you don't like the truth about you, but you love the truth about somebody else. Problem with truth is it's painful. It's easier to live a phony life, 100%. I think we can all agree. It's a lot easier and a lot safer to not handle the truth about me because the truth may set me free, but it first makes me miserable. Because I realize how hurt and how wrong I am. So humbly, I need help. That's honest. Everyone needs help. The bad news is it takes humility. Look what James says. This is, I hate this verse. I, I mean, it's in the Bible, so it's like a great verse. But I'm saying it's hard to hear, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a beautiful verse if you're humble. If you're not, the God of the universe opposes you. And you're like, cool, not good with that one. You know what I mean, right? Like that sometimes I'm like, wow, James, the brother of Jesus writing this says, listen, God opposes the proud. But if we can humble ourselves, he will give grace. What is grace? Grace is the power you need to change. Grace is the power you need to change. I believe that we can see some radical changes in our lives over the next eight weeks. I truly believe this. 
I wouldn't just say it. I truly believe it because I think the power of grace and the magnitude of grace we truly do not understand. We truly do not understand. A lot of times we can either whitewash grace to think it's just a forgiveness and I move on, but what it truly is is a power to not have to be held to what you were held before. And the reality of our life is willpower doesn't work, right? Who's with me? Like willpower just does not work. Like how many diets have you started this year? And it's July. I think I've started seven, okay? One a month. And I'm still pushing out my shirts. You know what I mean, right? Like it's a problem, right? Willpower does not work because you get tired because you're human, I'm human. We need the grace of God. The grace of God is the power to change. So if I want the power to change, I need God to be with me. And I need to humbly admit it so that his grace can come in. Let me be even more specific. I'm going to quickly go through three things. I have so much content and and we're going long already. Lord, have mercy. You know what? It's okay, though, because I'll take Pastor Jim's 10 minutes early last week. Just add it onto mine. Everyone cool with that? Okay, cool. The first one is this, right? Three specific things that all of us need if we're going to move on. The first things we need to admit is I'm broken. I'm broken. You have been even either broken by nature or by nurture. You've been broken by your sins or by the sins that have been done to you. Right? And I don't think I am broken is a fill in the blank if you're confused because I did not put that on there. Right? You've been broken by the choices you've made or by the circumstances and the choices others have made. You have been broken. All of us have been broken. The fact is we're all in the same boat. Nobody in this room is perfect. But it takes humility to add that. The second thing is this. Secrets make me sick. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 28. Whoever conceals their sins do not, does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Hiding never works. Sin gets worse in your life. I can tell you this from experience in my life. When I was in college, I was dealing with a specific addiction, and I just hid it from everybody. And the more you hide it, the worse it gets until it's unmanageable. And then everyone's going to find out anyways. So at the end of the, goal, end of the, the reality is, like, let's just admit it that I'm, I'm broken and secrets make me sick. Right? And, but I get why it's hard to share. Because the embarrassment, the shame, the fear, right? Like when you are, you're hiding the fear that you have or the anxiety that you have or the depression that you have, it's only going to get worse because no one else knows about it. And no one can help you with it. When you hide a hurt, when you hide a memory, it gets stronger. It gets hurt. When you hide a sin, when you hide a fear, it only makes it worse in your life. And listen, God doesn't want you to be hurt. But that's the reality of this world. But secrets, they make me sick. I'm not saying that like me. I'm saying all of us. It makes us sick. Third is this. I need to admit it to defeat it. I believe we, may, we waste an enormous amount of energy hiding our hurts, our faults, our hang-ups. 
And all of that energy we hide pretending that we're okay, if we just let it go, we could put that energy into something else. If we just admitted it, I'm broken. We have to admit it. We have to take responsibility of it. Jeremiah says this, and, 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 and this is a beautiful verse. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he said, My people have committed two sins. This is the first one. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Right? God is our source of water. He is our source of strength. They have forsaken me. That's the first sin, right? They're playing God. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Water And the second one is this. They've then dug their own broken wells and cisterns that can't hold water. So not only do we reject God, but we make up a plan to fulfill ourself. And what was happening in this time is they were rejecting God and digging their own cisterns to hold their own water when God had made promises to them. But there's cracks in the foundation The water doesn't stay because the source of our water is God. We cannot hold on to it ourselves. If I'm going to be poor in spirit, if I'm going to be blessed in that and see the kingdom of God, I have to admit that I don't have it all together. The second thing I need to admit is I need to humbly ask God for help. Humbly ask God for help. Check out this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says this. This is Paul speaking. We felt we were doomed to die, and we saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good, for then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for he can raise even the dead. So essentially what Paul is saying is we were going through such a tough time that he said he contemplated suicide would be easier. He was so depressed, I would have rather died. He was so discouraged, I was giving up on life. So look at what he says in this verse. We saw how powerless we were, right? We admitted that we do not have the power to change. We admitted that we are broken. And guess what? The next section says, that was good. Why would it be good to realize how powerless we are why would it be good to realize how broken we are because of this next verse because it was good for then we put everything into the hands of God we realize how broken we were and then we put everything into the hands of God and what does God do he raises people from the dead That's the beautiful part. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise a dead career. He can raise a dead dream. He can raise a dead relationship. God can do miracles. He specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. He specializes and making dead things alive again. That's what he does. So notice, I love this, and this is something you can do. Like I've done this in the book of Mark before in my Bible. I've, I've circled the word immediately. 
And it's a fun little study if you're ever reading the book of Mark. If you see how many times he writes immediately, immediately, immediately. Like this came in immediately, right? One thing you can also do in the Bible, right here, you could circle the word if you have your Bible and you're okay writing in it. You could circle the word everything. Because I'm going to give everything to God. The third one is this. Humbly accept help from others. Humbly accept help from others. And this is the third way that God, and this is the way that God's wired us to live in community. Humbly accept help from others. Can I, can I be super blunt for a moment? Cool? Super direct, super blunt for a moment. The problem that we have in our life, the temptation, the fault, the fear, the worry, the loneliness, whatever that is, you can't get rid of it on your own. If you could, you would have. But you can't. You're only going to get well when you're honest. Honest with God. And this is the part that's the worst. Honest with others. There is no other healing outside of that. It's our pride that keeps us stuck back. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Check this out in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one, talking about people, because they have a good return on their work. If one falls down, a friend can help him up. That's called friendship. That's called community. That's called making it through this life. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help them up. wired us that we need each other. This is why we have to gather here at church. This is why we have to grow in our relationship with God. This is why we have to have small groups this fall. And we need people who say, I'm going to lead a small group or I'm going to have a host home. I'm going to clean my home every week so people can come over and have a Bible study in my home. This is why we have to meet together because if we cannot grow in our faith without connecting there are no Jack Ryan Rambo Christians. You don't make it. You don't. You can't make it. You're just your own God and you're your own friend. So you're in trouble on both ends. You have no one to pick you up and you have no one to save you. We need each other. Check this out. 58 times in the New Testament, they use the phrase one another. Love one another care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another, one another, one another, again and again and again. It's not by yourself. That's why we're here. That's why we have a church. You're never meant to go through life alone. You're never meant to face your problems by yourself. That is not how God designed it. Adam and Eve were in the garden together. It was not good that he was alone. It's not good if you're alone. We need to be there to help each other out. Check this out in James chapter 5. It says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sharing that fear, sharing that fault, sharing that difficulty, revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. But let me be clear so we're not getting anything muddied. 
if you want to be forgiven, talk to God. No one else in this room can forgive you. If you want to be healed, talk to one another. And I'm not saying put it on a blimp at the Super Bowl or pay $5 million for a commercial to be like, I'm a bad person. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what I'm saying. Find one person who can keep their mouth shut and tell them. Don't tell the person who can't keep their mouth shut. We love you, but just keep it shut. Right? Don't tell them. No, tell somebody you can trust. Tell somebody who's going to say, me too. Tell somebody who's going to say, I know what you're talking about. Let's be the type of church that carries one another's burdens. Let's be the type of church that stands up when the other has fallen. Let's be the type of place that lives without judgment. Let's be the type of place where we speak life and life is changed. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, then I believe you need to be poor in spirit. And if you need if you're trying to be poor in spirit, then you need to admit you, have, you need help. You need to ask God for help, and you need to ask others for help. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this room and you say, you know what, I need to admit that I need help right now to God. I'm here in this room, and I just need to admit to God, I need help. God, I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. I need forgiveness from you, and then I need your wisdom, and I need your direction to know where to go forward and how to move forward. If you're here in this room, and that's you, or maybe you're listening to this podcast later, and that's you, and you're listening to it, and you say, you know what? I need, I need help. On the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand up, or if you're listening later, acknowledge to God right now. Right now. God, I need you. That's you on the count of three. Heads bows, eyes closed, no one looking around. I just want to ask you to shoot your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for and that we're going to pray. One, two, three, shoot them up. Yep. Yes. 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 You can put those hands down. Heavenly Father, we turn to you this morning. And God, we ask for your grace to come down. We know that your grace is sufficient for us. We know that your mercy is sufficient for us. But God, we want to stop playing, God. We want to stop putting ourselves in your seat. God, we kneel humbly at your throne. We admit we need help from you. We admit that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, you know what's best for us. So God, we ask today that you would come. God, I pray that broken relationships would be healed. I pray that hurts would be expunged. I pray that anxiety would stop. I pray that fear would run away. I pray that long, burdened, heavy laden people would be light this week. We ask for your peace, your unimaginable peace, God. You are the Savior. You are the King. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. This is your church. We are your people. We love you today. In Jesus' name, Everybody said, amen, amen, amen.